this whole series is, is kind of built around this idea that our, our world and more specifically our community is looking for, for a church. They're looking for an authentic church. They walk into our doors and they're trying to find a church that they can call home, a church that will meet their needs. And so uh, I gave you the example a couple weeks ago uh, of a man who was an expert in determining counterfeit bills. And when asked, how do you know what all these counterfeit bills look like? He says, I don't. I just know what the authentic one looks like. So as a church, we've been called to be that authentic one where people walk in and go, this is what I've been looking for. We find that example of the church in Acts chapter 2 where Peter has just completed a message and, and thousands of people have come to Christ. And we roll into what a New Testament church looks like. And it says in 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. We find what we talked about in week number one, connecting relationships. We find that in there as, as these new believers begin to connect to one another and connect to these apostles and connect, more importantly, to God. We find like what we talked about last week where they were transforming communities. They were going in and people were being transformed and and community leaders were hating them because they were turning to Christ. Um, This week I want to talk about something that we see exemplified there. Um, And I want to talk about this moldable faith. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for your grace, your mercy. God, your love that is immeasurable. This morning as we... Take this moment to hear from you, God. We ask that you open us and prepare us for what you would have us to do. God, this morning that as you begin to work the imperfections out of our life, that we would be submissive to what you're doing. Now that only happens through your anointing. And this morning we ask that your anointing be upon the words that are spoken. God, people who have come here this morning with needs would know that they've found the right place to come to the throne of God and leave them there. God, we ask that you work miraculously in, in the service, and we'll give you glory for us in Christ's name. Amen. So in 1943, um, there was an invention that was made, and, and it was a response to the fact that there was a global shortage on rubber. And so the U.S. government decided they were going to fund a project where they were going to have synthetic rubber made so that they could kind of offset the reality of there not being enough rubber for even the war that they were fighting. And so um, this man named James Wright, he invented this synthetic rubber um, for this specific purpose of being used. And, And once they got it, it was stretchy. It had all the texture that a rubber would have. It would bounce. But they realized that it just didn't replace everything that was needed for rubber. And they said, there's nothing we can do with this nutty putty, is what they said. Well, if you fast forward like five years from there, there's this toy shop owner. And she's come across it, and she reaches out to a man named Peter Hodgson. 
And she says, hey, this, this right here seems like it could be a pretty cool toy. What do you think? And, and so they came in this venture together and they began to sell this nutty putty stuff where people could play with it and mold it. And, well, James Hodgson saw how much people love this thing that he took his life savings. He'd already invested $12,000 into it. He took the rest of his money, $147, and he made a batch of these things. And they got ready to release it around Easter time, and so they put it into an eggshell to make it marketable for kids. And they called it Silly Putty. And I don't know if you've ever had fun playing with Silly Putty, but uh, it, it's more fun than it should be for an adult, honestly. You know? But um, we, we find that it, there, there's a lot of fun things to do with it. As kids, you know, you would take it and you would throw it on a comic book and you could pull it up and you would have the comic book on there and that was fun or you could make different shapes and sizes. It was just a fun thing to use. And now we find that there's practical uses for it where therapists are giving it for people that have problems with their hands and, and it helps strengthen it. And so this failed invention became one of the greatest toys that's ever graced the market. R- millions upon millions have been sold worldwide. You know, when I think about the silly putty, it it always takes me back to a story in Jeremiah chapter 18. If you want to turn there, that'll be our text for the day. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse number 1. To kind of set the stage for you, Jeremiah, he's one of the prophets of Israel at this time. and, and, And the Jewish people at that time had essentially become spoiled brats. They complained about everything. They were never content with all the provisions that God made. And and many times God was frustrated and he would turn them over to enemies who wanted to hurt them. And so this relationship between the Jews and God required men like Jeremiah to be the mouthpiece of God, to go to them and go, you're being a spoiled brat. God's going to destroy us if you don't change. God decides in what we're about to read to illustrate to Jeremiah exactly what he wants to do with his people. This Jeremiah 18, verse number 1. We'll read the first six verses. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was, working at his will. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in this potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If you've ever experienced clay, a lot of our interaction with clay is when it's rainy and we step in it and we despise it. But I will tell you the most valuable a clay will ever be is when it's in the potter's hands. Because when clay is in the potter's hands, all that it will ever be is left up to the imagination of the potter. It could be the most stunning bowl. It could be the most stunning pot. It could be something that you've never seen before. But the value of it is not in what it is. It's in whose hands that it is. Today when I talk to you about moldable faith, it's not to tell you how valuable we are as people. Because we learned from the very onset of the human race is that we're not very valuable people. Right? Because all we do is fail. 
But thankfully, the value that we have is found in the potter's hands. When he takes a failed life and he says, let, let me just rework it. I'm just going to rework it. And so today I want to talk to you about having that moldable faith, being willing to be worked by God, being willing to be shaped by God, what it means as a church to be shaped and molded by God, and all the pain that comes along with it. I want to talk to you first about having the right balance. Clay involves two ingredients, earth and water. And as simple as those ingredients sound, Getting the right texture means that you have to have the right balance. Any person who is is a pottery expert, someone who sits on the wheel and and crafts beautiful pieces of art, will tell you that if those two things aren't in the correct balance, it will be catastrophic for the end product. If there's too much water in the clay, it becomes too wet and it won't harden. If it's too soft... It will be too weak to hold up and nothing will be able to be formed from it. And if it's too dry, it will crumble and break apart and it will be useless. And so having the right balance of water to earth is what makes it such a beautiful thing in the hands of the potter. As a matter of fact, a lot of times if you were to see a great pottery shop, especially in, outside of the U.S., you would find them on, in coastal areas. And they'll go down and they'll go where this, where this silt is, where the water and the, and the earth has mixed together and it's made this fine texture of stuff. And they'll gather it up. And, in, and to ensure that it has the right balance, what you'll find is they'll take it and they'll put it in some kind of container and they'll just begin to step on it. And what they're doing is they're working out all the stuff that's excess. If we got too much sand, we need to get that worked out. If we got too much water, we got to work it out. And they'll work it out. And in the end, they'll find such a beautiful um, starting point for what they're getting ready to make. But the right balance has to be in place in order for the potter to form it how he sees it to be. Uh, in a minute, we'll talk about the forming process. But the forming process does not ever begin until they have the right balance. And and so the question you're probably thinking is, well, what does that mean for me? What does it mean to have the right balance when it talks about moldable faith? Now, how many times have you heard somebody make a comment that they're just not sure what God is trying to tell them? Have you ever heard somebody make that comment? They're like, I don't know what God's trying to tell me. Maybe they'll have something, a relationship will be broken in their life, and I don't know what God's trying to tell me through this. And, and if you've ever taken time and you'll sit with them and you'll begin to talk to them and figure out, well, what do you mean by that? And then you begin to quiz them a little bit to try to help them understand what's going on. And you go, well, how is your relationship with God? I mean, in prayer, how is that? And they go, well, I mean, I don't get to spend much time in prayer. You go, okay, when you spend time in the Word, how is that working out for you? Well, I haven't been able to do that because I have had this going on. And you go, what about church? Like, how is church helping you through this process? And you go, well, I haven't even been to church because they don't understand what I'm going through. And what you find that they're truly saying to you is, I don't have the right balance in my life to understand what God is trying to do with me. And so many times in frustration with God, we find that it actually has nothing to do with Him and everything to do with the balance in our life. God is teaching me things, but I can't grasp them because I got too much water and not enough sand, or I got too much sand and not enough water. And and I find that instead of the potter being able to begin to craft me into a beautiful creation, I just go right through His fingers because I don't have the right balance in my life. 
The New Testament church understood what it meant to have the correct balance and to be the authentic church. They studied together. They prayed together. They cried together. They worked through problems together. They were unified. And through that unity, it bred balance in their lives. I want to tell you this morning that if you're struggling with getting things balanced in your life, it starts with a self-examination of your soul. And asking tough questions of, God, am I doing everything you've asked of me? Am I praying as much as you've asked me to do? Am I in constant communication with you? Am I reading your words so clearly every single day? Or am I struggling there? God, am, am I putting church on the back burner? Because some of the most beautiful creations God begins to craft happens right here in His own church. When God begins to connect us with people who's been through our problems and they speak into our life. Or whenever we're going through something and, and God just brings that person who gives you a hug and you're like, that's what I needed in this moment. God uses these things to balance us out where we can become the product that He needs to begin to work on. And because of that balance, God can mold us into what He wants us to be. And so having the correct balance for God to mold your faith means connecting with your church and your community, as we talked about in week one of this series. It means that you have to carve out time for personal Bible devotions. It also means that prayer is more than an act that we do around food. And as harsh as it feels and as hard as it can be, it means that we live our faith out loud in public. When we begin to have that balance corrected in our lives, we find that God begins to do some things in our lives. When the balance gets right, the potter begins to form us. And the next process that takes place is called the kneading process. And, 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 the, and so my second point to you is we must be workable or we must be submissive. Once the balance is right, the potter begins to grab the clay and he just begins to work on it. And if you've ever done any baking, you know that it's, it's the same premise that you do whenever you grab flour and you begin to form some dough. Is the potter will grab it, he'll just begin to knead it in his hand, he'll begin to work it. And the reason he's doing it is he's having to work out some of the imperfections that are in it so it can be a beautiful finished process. And, and so there's two things that you do when you're kneading. The first thing is that you want to work out all the air bubbles. Because the air bubbles that are left in the clay, they'll cause it to essentially explode when you expose it to fire. And so the potter begins to knead the air bubbles out. And the next thing that he begins to do is to find any grit or any foreign objects that are in there, any imperfections that are inside of it. Because if those are still in there, it'll cause the clay to weaken and fall apart when it's thrown on the wheel. So he begins to knead it. And the potter can feel these in his hands as he works it with his hands. I think you can draw the picture of this to our own lives. Once the balance gets right in our life, God begins to need us. And it's very uncomfortable. Because in God's hands, He can immediately feel all the stuff that's wrong in our lives. If you've ever been through the needing process, and if you've been saved longer than a day you have, you know that it is not a fun thing to go through. 
As God begins to work in our life and He takes us and He molds us and, he, and He's pushing out all the air bubbles and He's pushing out all the imperfections and, and we're finding that some of the relationships we had weren't what God designed for them to be and so He works us out of that relationship. And we find some of the things that we're consuming in media isn't what God wants for us and so He begins to work that out of our life. And, and we find that some of the time that we've been devoting to this area shouldn't be given over there and so God begins to need that out of our life and it becomes uncomfortable and it becomes frustrating frustrating at times, but it's the potter working the imperfections out in our life. And as God does that, we become convicted of our shortcomings and the realization of the struggles that we have. I want to tell you this, God cannot use you if there's still some of you left in you. Until the clay becomes exactly what the potter needs, he cannot use it. And so the call to us as individuals and as a church is to be submissible and workable. To know that God's going to take us through seasons where there's absence in our church and where we don't understand why. But God's working us. He's working us. And He's working us. There's times in our life when we feel so distant from God, but the reality is we're in His hands and He's working us. And He's working us. Because until He works us out of us, He can't use us. And so he begins to work us and work us and work us. And imperfection after imperfection is worked out of our lives. And so with the right balance and the needing God is preparing us for a greater purpose. Lastly, in this moldable process is exactly what the message is this morning. You must be moldable. It is clear in the story that Jeremiah paints that we are the clay and God is the potter. And if you don't believe me, then look at the very beginning of the Bible in the creation story. And out of the dust, God created Adam. Out of clay, God created Adam. So we are clearly the clay and God is clearly the father. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says in Isaiah 64 and 8, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. If we are the work of God's hands, then he must be, then excuse me, we must be moldable to what he wants us to be. The clay has no say in the end product. And so the potter, after he gets it right, he'll just take this big clump of clay that he's already kneaded and he's worked all the imperfections on, he'll slap it onto this wheel. And he'll just begin to spin it. And spin it, and spin it, and spin it. And I don't know if you've ever been through this in your life where it feels like your life is just spinning out of control, right? It feels like you can't get another bad phone call, right? Your phone call of somebody being sick is followed with somebody died. And then you find out that this marriage over here that you thought was perfect is divorced. And you're looking all around you going, God, I'm spinning out of control. What's going on? And we find that it's just a potter molding us. He's spinning us. He's crafting us. He's beginning to work us more. He's beginning to put more emphasis on who he wants us to be as the end product. And sometimes that means that we think God has called us to lead a missions trip. And we find that God has really just called us to teach a class. And, and we find that we have no say in what God is wanting us to be because God already has a beautiful plan for us. And, and so our, our, our moldability defines everything because in the end we don't have a say in what God has called us to do. He's just preparing us for it. He's putting us on the wheel. He's molding us and He's making us 
into who we're called to be. We trust the sovereignty of God is forming us into the person and the church that we're needed to be. And that's the key thing is that we look at our community and go, this is where we see the need. And God looks at our community and goes, this is where the need is and this is where I need you to be. And so God works that into our life. And so we trust the sovereignty of God in that process. And and we see this in our church now as, as God is forming us into the church that our community needs. All the changes that's taken place. And, and I will tell you, on the inside, man, there has been times where it has been difficult. And it's been painful. And God has been needing our church. And, and there's been times I've felt the stress of it. And, and I'll tell you, it's an uncomfortable thing. But this morning and over the past several weeks and months, I've been looking at our church and go, all right, God, I begin to see the product that you're forming here. And it makes sense to me now. Because God works us into what He needs, and He's he's doing that right now in our church. And you're going to see God's going to continue to move us in a a, a certain direction. I was thinking the other day, I was talking to a pastor who uh, was that he he came to our church for the pews. And and so he was talking to me about, man, I'm I'm so happy you guys got guitars on the stage. And and he was talking about... uh, uh, some other areas of our church and oh the chairs and, 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 and the TVs and he was talking about all the stuff and I said man two years ago this place looked completely different but in two years God has been molding us and needing us and I'm sure that you've had frustrations in those two years and, and I've had frustrations in this two years and, and people on the outside has had frustration. The people have left our church because they're frustrated and the people have come to our church because of what God is needing in us. And, and so we find that God is beginning to form us into what He's called us to be. And as we work on our balance and the potter needs out the imperfections, we have to be moldable and adaptable to the church that is needed. The church that is needed, the person that is needed in your workplace. God's needing you into that person. You may say, I don't understand why I had this battle with this illness. It was tough. And God, you needed me through it. And, and you spun me and I felt like my life was out of control. And then one day your coworker comes up and says, hey, I just got this diagnosis. And you go, God, you were just making me into the person that I needed to be for this individual. God's working us. He's... He's preparing us. He's doing something incredible with us. And just when you think the potter is done, he's formed this beautiful masterpiece. You think, all right, he's done. This is what it is. We find that he takes that beautiful creation and he sets it in the fire. And it's in the fire that it becomes exactly what God has called it to be. It's in the fire of our life that we become exactly who God called us to be. It's in our struggles. It's in the questioning of things that's happened in our life. It's not understanding what God wants in that moment, but it's in the fire that we fully understand what God is trying to do. As He strengthens us, and He has worked out all these imperfections, and they've come to the surface, and, and now He's just making us into this beautiful creation that He had. But it's, it's in the fire. And we are thankful in the fire that there is no more imperfection to rear its ugly head. If you've ever been in a fiery situation, you know that you'll always handle it better than you would have handled it previously 
Right? You ever had that experience where you're like, man, if that person would have said that to me five years ago, they wouldn't have walked out of here the same, right? But God done brought me to the fire, right? And so, and, and we see that, that God brings us to the fire, and it's in there. We go, God, I'm so thankful that you worked the anger out of my life because now you can use me. I'm so thankful that you worked out my jealousy. I'm so thankful that you worked out all these imperfections because now I'm who you called me to be. And in the fire, we see that fully in what it is. We experience maybe for the first time the sincere care of the potter when we go through the fire. The whole time he's been rough with us. He's, he's been beating us and slapping us and, 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 and putting us on the thing and, and then molding us and squeezing us. And, and we went through all this and, and, and it's in the fire for the first time. We feel the sincere care of the potter's hands as he softly places the delicate thing in there. And then when he reaches in there and he grabs out this hard and beautiful creation, we know that the potter cares for us. But it's difficult getting to that point. It requires us being moldable in our faith. It means that sometimes we think we're called for this and we realize, God, you didn't call me for that. And I can adapt to that. Or God, maybe you thought that you thought that God was forging this relationship right here only to find out in the midst of it that God never wanted you with that person. And as we go through these experiences, we realize how much the potter cares. Moses never understood what God did when he got to the Red Sea. It wasn't until he walked through the Red Sea and he looked back and he saw his enemies drowning. And he goes, God, it makes sense now. And when God molds us as the potter and us the clay, it's not until we're that finished creation and we look back and go, it makes sense now. I know why that person had to be out of my life. I understand why you had to work this show out of my life. I understand why this music I couldn't listen to anymore. I understand why you did this and that. I understand it now, God. But it's through the fire that we finally get the full picture. We're stronger. We're more beautiful. And He decorates us. And He protects us. And we're only required to be moldable as He completes a great work in us. Paul, at the introduction to his letter to the church of Philippi, offers this encouraging statement in in chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I read that verse January 1st of this year. And I said to everybody at that time, God finishes what he starts. And I can tell you eight months down from that, it still holds true. God completes a great work in His church and His people because He is faithful even when we're not. He will take the clay, He'll mold it, He'll craft it, and He'll complete that great work no matter how painful it is. I want to end with with a story um, there was a couple who, who used to go to England and to shop in these beautiful antique stores. And, and so they decided that they wanted to celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary by going antiquing. And, and so they both liked antiques and potteries and especially teacups. And so spotting an exceptional cup, they asked the lady, can we see the cup? And we've never seen one so beautiful. And, and to their dismay, when the lady handed the cup to them, they began to speak. This is not a true story, okay? And so the teacup spoke. And said, you don't understand. I have not always been a beautiful teacup. 
There was a time when I was just a lump of red clay. My master took me and he rolled me and pounded and patted me over and over. And I yelled out, don't do that. I don't like it. Let me alone. But he only smiled and gently said, not yet. Then wham, I was placed on a spinning wheel and suddenly I was spun around and around and around. Stop it. I'm getting dizzy. I'm going to be sick, I screamed. But the master only nodded and said quietly, not yet. He spun me and poked me and prodded me and bent me out of shape to suit himself. And then... He put me in the oven. I never felt such heat. I yelled and knocked and pounded at the door. Help, get me out of here. I could see through the opening and I could read his lips as he shook his head from side to side and said, not yet. When I thought I couldn't bear it another minute, the door opened and he carefully took me out and he put me on a shelf and and I began to cool. And Oh, that felt so good. That's much better, I thought. But after I cooled, he picked me up and he brushed me and and he painted me all over and the fumes were horrible. And I thought I would gag. Oh, please stop it. Stop it, I cried. He only shook his head and said, not yet. And suddenly he put me back in the oven, only it was not like the first one. This was twice as hot. I just knew I would suffocate. I begged, I pleaded, I screamed, I cried. I was convinced I would never make it. I was ready to give up. And just then the door opened And he took me out again and he placed me on a shelf where I cooled and waited and waited, wondering, what is he going to do to me next? An hour later, he handed me a mirror and said, look at yourself. And I did. And I said, that's not me. That couldn't be me. It's beautiful. I'm beautiful. Quietly, he spoke. I want you to remember then, he said. I know it hurt to be rolled and pounded and patted. But had I just left you alone, you'd have dried up. I know it it made you dizzy to spin around on the wheel, but if I had stopped, you would have crumbled. I know it hurt and it was hot and disagreeable in the oven, but if I hadn't put you there, you would have cracked. I know the fumes were bad when I brushed and painted you all over, but if I hadn't done that, you would never have hardened. You would not have had any color in your life if I hadn't put you back in the second oven. You wouldn't have survived for long because the hardness would not have held. Now, you're a finished product. Now, you're what I had in mind when I first began. God knows what he's doing in each one of us. He is the potter, and we are the clay. He will mold us, and he'll make us, and he'll expose us to just enough pressure of just the right kinds that we may be made into a flawless piece of work to fulfill his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I want to leave you with this. When life seems hard, you're being pounded and patted and pushed almost beyond endurance. When your world seems to be spinning out of control, when you feel like you're in a fiery furnace of trials, when life seems to stink, just remember that your moldable faith is allowing God to create a more beautiful you and a more beautiful church. Let's pray, God. Thank you this morning. For these beautiful words of of Jeremiah, God, as you begin to mold the people of Israel, God, you still do that today in our lives as you mold us and you craft us into who you've called us to be. God, undoubtedly today, there's those in the service who are at different stages of the process. God, maybe they're here this morning and they go, I just don't have the right balance in my life. That's why God hasn't been able to use me like I so desire for him to do. 
God, maybe they're here and they go, I've been beaten, and pounded, and I don't know how much more God could work me, but I feel like all the imperfections are out. God, maybe they're spinning, and their life is spinning and seemingly out of control, and they're just calling for assistance. Or God, maybe this morning you've put them in the fire. And as they're going through the fire, you're hardening them and developing them into the creation you called them to be. This morning, God, at whatever stage they're at this, this day, I ask that you comfort them in the process. That they remain moldable, they remain faithful, and God, that they remain standfast in the midst of the troubles in their life. This morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you that opportunity. If you, if you came here this morning, you said, man, I don't even know what's going on in my life. Maybe you said, I don't even, even know that I've surrendered to Christ yet. I don't, I don't even know what it means to be in the hands of the potter. I'm still feeling like a failed creation. If that's you, then I want to invite you forward this morning. And as, as you come to the altar, you'll feel the most pleasant feeling you've ever had. And that's being picked up by the hands of the potter as he begins to craft you into who you've always been designed to be. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you forward to encounter Jesus and to encounter the potter to work in your life. I also want to invite you forward this morning. If you go, I'm in the process right now and my moldability is questionable. My faith is struggling and, and I just need some help. If that's you, I want you to know that while the praise team plays, the altar is open and I'm here to pray with you and I know others will too. This morning, the altar is open for whatever you're facing in your life. Come on, stand and sing this. He knows my name. I have 